Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And this week, a special guest, a friend, is joining us, Mr. Caleb Baldry. What's up? Thanks for joining us, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I'm curious kind of how this all came together. The reason Caleb's here is um, Darren went to Israel this past week. As many of you may know already, we talked about it on Sunday, uh, had an incredible opportunity to um, to check out everything that's happening over there with some of our friends, and we'll get into those details in a second. But somehow Caleb found himself in Pakistan can I say that? Yeah. With our missions pastor, within 24 hours, well, basically hours. 24 to 36 hours later, yeah. you find yourself back home and then back in Israel in the Middle East. <laughs> How did that come together? Like, I mean, what yeah. is, what's the deal here? I guess uh, I've been doing, I'm not even sure how many trips I've been on now in a year and a half. I think that was my seventh uh, international trip, oh, uh, doing video. And so Eric and I were in Pakistan and I think I was, it was right. It was the day that I was packing for Pakistan. I get a text from Darren saying, we're leaving the 13th. Can you come? Wow. And actually, no, that's not true. You were asking me if I could go. I was in Pakistan yeah, with right. Eric. And then a couple of days before we were leaving. What started is that we thought, cause I thought it was going to be the 15th. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in that case, you would have three days home, which is, by the way, that's still a big ask. I'm in Pakistan for 12 days, mm-hmm. come back to America, then go back three days later. And then literally out of nowhere, I get this call um, saying, oh, yeah, here, the dates are 13th. And I actually didn't know if I was, I mean, how am I going to do this? Like, I, you know, Mo had to come in at the last second to fill in for me. And there was a moment of like, I can't not. But then, yeah, I'm texting you going, Hey, so it's actually the thirteenth, and you know, yeah, yeah. You said yes, so I said yes. I'm an easy yes on these trips, but yeah, I come home. I have 36 hours between coming home and getting on a plane to Miami, then to Tel Aviv. So yeah, that's and, all. And I your have. goal, the goal of bringing Caleb along, obviously, is to help document. That's what you do. You're you're a bit of a documentarian. That's a big word. Yeah. I can't spell it. Yeah, but you're good at it. And you're really good at it, capturing video and putting together um, can, uh, these these stories. Basically, you're telling stories through video, and you do such an mm-hmm. amazing job. And so you. for you to be able to go last minute on this trip. It was imp- I'll say it was important because it, when, I, when it originally came about, I didn't ask Caleb initially because I thought, well, first of all, I didn't think, I thought you were going to be there a little bit longer. I didn't think it was going to work. So I blew through multiple asks for people to go with me. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and not surprisingly, nobody said yes um, to it. Some of it was, yeah, I'm, I'm working. But most of it was, are you out of your mind? Yeah. Uh, and Caleb mm-hmm. was like, yes. Yeah. I'm uh, immediate yes. Yeah. So let's head right into danger. Yeah. Why not? Well, yeah. you know, the thing that Caleb has picked up on around here, our culture, is we, we, we call it keeping your yes on the table. If God's opening a door, you know. Yes is the only answer. And and by the way, the people that said no, it wasn't 
but you know, God just didn't green light them. And because one of the things I did say with anybody is like, if you say yes, that's great, but I need your wife to tell me that she's okay with it too. Mm-hmm. And so, and Caleb is not married yet, but uh, yeah, we still had to run that. I think you know by my significant other. Can yeah. we say girlfriend? Girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> okay, we're there. Yet. She okay, was. Yeah. She was immediate yes though. Yeah, which was which is the I meaning she's the keepers with that. Yeah, marriage. that's the encouraging thing. How did this trip come together on your end, Darren? Like what? I, obviously, it was last minute, but can you give uh, a little bit of context on who it was with, yeah. why you went, and and how it all came together? Yeah, I can. the The, the body of Christ right now is coming together. Uh, weirdly, almost like COVID, like people that you would never think would be in the same room, based on many theological things. Um, but when you around a common enemy, then it's suddenly amazing how fast the things that don't matter fall away, and so. Um, the, the, uh, there's a, a guy named Todd who uh, work, work, still works for uh, Paula White Ministries in okay. Florida. And m- many people know her as uh, the, the pastor to President Trump. Or the pastoress, is that what it is? A female pastor? Pastors? Um, and, and I've actually known of Randy and Paula since like she, before she, like she was, there's a whole other life where Paula was, you know, a uh, pastor of a church with her husband. And, and now she's married to the dude from Journey. So mm-hmm. in, a, in a weird irony, the guy that wrote Don't Stop Believing, right? The, the, the title of our first John series. It's his wife's ministry that uh, Todd had worked for. But anyway, they came, um, they meaning Todd, and, uh, and if you guys remember, you're around Iftak and his kids uh, from uh, Southern Israel, and they just, you know, I, when they were here, I was like, look, if there's any way that I can come and see you there, just know that I'm an immediate yes, whatever, whenever that is. We'd love it if it was sooner than later. I think that day, too, I don't know if you remember this, that day I saw you and I was like, hey, if you go going to Israel, let me know. Yeah. So. That's true. I forgot that. So you, you kept your word. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it came about that. So this organization is called City Serve. And the thing that makes them um, really helpful in Israel is they actually are a fully uh, recognized Israeli version of a 501c3 inside of Israel, uh, which you, you desperately need to work inside of Israel. Like they, they are um, not excited about as a government about Christian missionaries. Like you, you know, saying you're a missionary there is actually not a selling point. Now the major difference between that saying like an Islamic country is they'll still let you in um, but there are restrictions around churches, which is why most of the churches in Israel are called like house of prayer. Like you see these houses of prayer. Um, but that's it. That was, that was how Todd said, Hey, yeah, we, uh, we want to go over there. We want to, um, we, we, we've given them $200,000 at this point. So one of the things that's important is make sure that the money you said, you know, is going where you said it was going to go. So yeah. And to connect the dots, Todd and his team were here a month and a half, yeah. two months ago. Um, if you remember our previous interview that we had on our podcast, um, and on a Sunday, we had Todd and the Gepner family join us to tell us their story of what they experienced on uh, October seventh. And so it was in that in that meeting that we the relationship yeah. formed, and this opportunity rolled out of that, which then allowed you to uh, allowed you guys to visit the Gepners' the home. Yeah. Um, in in their neighborhood, I always forget the name of what they call the neighborhood. Theirs was called a mashav. A mashav in it in Absor. Yeah, the, the, name. the name of the town is yeah in it in Absor. In Absor. So you get to go 
boots on the ground to the 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 village in mm. essence the neighborhood that was Farm attacked town. yeah that was attacked and mm. um were able to to learn more about i mean very up close and personally the impact and quite frankly the evil that took place yeah. that day yeah we were on the border of gaza like how close Less than a kilometer. Yeah, like, one of the, one of the villages we went to, I think, was yeah, it was less than a kilometer. You could see the actual Gaza destruction. You could yeah. see the rubble. You could see. I have like I, I borrowed a zoom lens from the yeah. photographer that was there, and I could actually zoom in and see it. Yeah, yeah, a thousand feet away. You could hear gunfight, the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, we're talking like the the distance of here to eight forty. Sure, like it's right there. Like yeah. you can. Mm-hmm. See it. There's the fence. There's the, mm-hmm. and so we were, you know, and Absor was like sort of the the main operating base, but we hit two or three other. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the one that I can remember the name of was Kafar Aza, uh, and it was one that was just absolutely obliterated. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a town of 950 people, and the best estimate that they have was it was at least 300 terrorists in their town. So it's honestly amazing that anyone survived. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because it was an ambush. Right? Oh, yeah. With with oh, yeah. machine guns and bombs and RPGs. And paratroopers. Yeah. They had people come from the sky. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah uh, it, it, which is part of what I wanted to... I, the stories that we're hearing... And by the way, if you've got kids and you've got this on in your car, this might be one that you maybe... Listen to later. Or if you're watching YouTube at home, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe you pull up the podcast. Maybe part of your routine <laughs> is to pull up the podcast and watch as a family after dinner. Yeah. Uh, maybe not. This yeah, this one. wouldn't be the, the one. I mean, if you're, it depends. Mm-hmm. You know your kids, but you know, I, I want to be able to speak very freely as to what happened. Yeah. That we saw with our own two eyes. We heard with our own ears. Mm-hmm. You know, we smelled with our own nose. Like, we were there. And so I don't want to whitewash it. And, and, to that end, like, we also don't want to leave it as just the hopeless stuff. So we want to say, like, this is what, this is what happened. This is what we saw. This is what uh, the second is like. This is what Israel, as a government, is doing, and you know, did or didn't, should or shouldn't do. Right. And then mm-hmm. third is, like, what are we going to do as a church? Like, what do we get to do as a part of this? And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's that's the flow that we're going to go with today. And I've got some video clips. So if you're listening on Spotify. Um, you'll be able to hear the voices, but this is also one that might be better for you to uh, consume on YouTube because there's some visuals that, that we're going to show here, uh, something we've never really done before. But our sure. crack commando unit producer uh, team over here, uh, Micah and Caleb, figured it out. So you, you'll get to see what we saw. And, and by the way, just I want to clarify, just so you know, the footage you're going to see, I shot with my iPhone. So if you're like, man, <laughs> Caleb, Caleb blows, man. It's like that's terrible. Yeah. Just, this we is brought like, Caleb all the way over yeah. last minute to shoot on his yeah. iPhone, just so he could hold his phone wrong when he, he video <laughs> records. Yeah, like this is fifty-two year old video recording, so you'll we'll have more sense. Yeah, we'll have some more high quality things or whatever. But this, that being said, this is not that. So take us through it. So you you, you get there, you arrive, and are you immediately whisked away in an armored vehicle or <laughs> I mean like like logistically how how Actually, how a party bus how quickly did you get to the neighborhood and what was some of the first yeah. things you you felt or or saw so we we arrived on a sunday night and stayed in a 
a hotel in Tel Aviv. Okay. And, uh, and it's so wild. I don't know if you've ever been anybody in a country that's at war, civil war, whatever. But it's like life weirdly goes on. But you have to mm-hmm. you still have to go to the grocery store. Like mm-hmm. things have to happen, and you know. So, um, so that's what's happening. Like there's going to grocery stores, going to hotels, and mm-hmm. but but I'll say the first thing that struck me was the hotels are full of um, families who have been displaced, Israelis, Israelis, mm-hmm. uh, who can't go home because it's not safe. So like I'm just trying to the mental picture, but like you're. Like the hotel lobby, and by the way, the Israeli hotels—they're—they're they're made for tourists. Like the food is glorious, but you walk in and there's like I don't know a hundred scooters, like little kid scooters, because there's kids everywhere, and you've got families, four or five, you know, kids, whatever, in a in a hotel room, not like a suite. Sure. And so this is their lives. They're. And, and again, kids are resilient, so they're they're zipping around on their uh, on their motorized scooters and in, in and out dinner, and you know it's and they're it's, interacting with like the the hotel guests. Like I was watching kids going up to like the the guy who was I guess the doorman or whatever, and they're like going up to them, and he was making them laugh. I mean, it was like we were walking into just a a community. But these are all basically just refugees from yeah. their own country that we just stay in a yeah. hotel with. And one of the first clues that you get that something's wrong is dinner. Because, again, the hotels, the food on a trip when you're doing a tour trip is unbelievable. Like, amazing. But, like, think about it. If you've got, like, a, like all the neighborhood kids are coming over and, you know, Jenny's like, geez, I got, like, all these football kids. So what do you do? You cook up. <laughs> pile of spaghetti that's right spiral noodles whatever and and sauce and so like the 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 hotel buffets that are normally full of like you know lamb the quality is decreased and it's like you know here's a (laughs) would you like a pile of uh spiral noodles or would you like spaghetti noodles and then some sort of indeterminate uh fish sure kind of thing uh and now that said there were i I will say that a couple of the hotels they were so glad to see us one of them they put us in uh, like our own little room and it's like a Mediterranean D-Day invasion of food, like just wave after wave of food. We're like, I'm over here waving the white flag. Like, stop. We can't yeah. eat any more of this. That's the best thing about Israel is like the fruits and vegetables yeah. are like the best in the world. Everything tastes incredible. And they were so excited. I think we were literally like the first yeah. tourist They were so months. grateful because uh, their entire industry has been shut down and— so they were excited. So anyway, we stayed the night in Tel Aviv, and then the next morning, or early on, we headed straight for the Gaza border. And at the Gaza border, you're then ushered into these um, these neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you meet up with? So a part of City Serve is obviously Todd, and then the is Israeli um, outpost is yeah. is that led by Yuri? Am I remembering mm-hmm. this correctly? Yep, Uri. He mm-hmm. um, and it turns out the guy. Spent a bunch of time in the United States working. He worked for the Israeli Tourist Department, and so he sponsored like Winter Jam. Oh wow! Like he knows, uh, he, he knows Justin Fratt. Yeah. Uh, Rod Riley, uh, yeah. Troy Van Leer. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> How did you know that? Um, so we had a lot of the same friends. So yeah, so he's there, and he's former IDF as well. Okay. Um, and I mean, it's like Israel is full because of 
they're constantly and have constantly been in a defense mode. Everybody's in shape. Like, you know, we're we're eating dinner that first night, and you look down. There's like a hundred people. It's like ten o'clock at night, and they're all they're running in groups, but they're like, you know, doing like sprints outside and stuff. So anyway, and you, you know, Uri's one of those guys, just yeah, top shape, mm-hmm. not screwing around. So yeah, he's there. Uh, Todd Flamir is there. Mm-hmm. Daniel Klein, who is the CEO of Catalyst, is is with us. And then uh, two pastor friends of of mine were there as well. John Breland and, and Rob. Rogers and am I forgetting anyone? I think it was it. Was it? Yeah. Uh, and again, I invited a few pastors, and I was joking with John Breland. Like, I can't get the guy to go fly fishing with us, but go to Gaza. Yeah, he he didn't even it. hesitate. Yeah, I'm in. Like, I don't. You might need to see your therapist about this, man, because you won't go fly fishing, but you'll go to Gaza. So tell us what what you saw. I mean, what what did you walk into this compound? Not out of compound neighborhood because it, it's yeah, it's yeah. all blocked off and walled off, which. It probably loosely walled off. Well, I think we actually we actually started at the Nova Festival first. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're right. So the first thing we went to was one of the most devastating places that got attacked, and it was a basically a music festival, Israeli music festival. And that's the one that got the most coverage, the, mm-hmm. the festival that was attacked yep. from paratroopers yep. and all of that. And it was called the Nova Festival, and... Um, I mean, it's 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 right on the border. It's and you know right next to Gaza. And so that was the first place we went. And... It was it was kind of a shocking first place to start because there's a a lot of military presence there. So they have like tank cannons right there on the property. They have IDF everywhere. They have you know just and then we go in and then we get off the the bus that we're on and you immediately you're hearing gunfire like from Gaza. You're having the cannons shooting over our heads. So you're just hearing <laughs> boom. Yeah, so like mortars every going off, mortars going off. Like every minute, you're it hearing. Wow, dude! Like we were there for twelve seconds, and you yeah. can just—it's like the subs in the front row yeah. of a rock and roll concert. You just felt it in your chest, and you could see uh, the trees, and you just see the smoke coming up from God. Like you, you're you, at that moment. It was a moment where it's like, okay, me personally, I'm a wartime correspondent. In this second, right? Um, we are just—we're in a war zone, and. In that area, um, they have these uh, these stakes in the ground and has pictures of people who were either murdered or um, taken from the Nova Festival just all around. And so we just walked, you know, between pictures of people. Um, yeah, it's like a makeshift memorial. Mm-hmm. Um, and so each photo on a like a little small post uh, has the name. Uh, brutally murdered what happened to them their their age their birthday or uh taken hostage you know and and, and it was it was holy ground like 300 people were murdered there um i they don't know how many but it, hundreds of women were brutally sexually assaulted yeah tortured yeah. um the New York Times reported this, uh, and we heard these stories as well, where once they had their way with a female, with a woman, they, um, and this is, I'm telling you, if you've got kids, this is your last chance. Mm-hmm. Um, inserting the barrel of their weapon inside of uh, the the woman's lady parts and killing them that way, shooting straight up through the top of their head. It was just mm-hmm. the way that they tortured 
Uh, I, I, one of the guys said that even animals aren't this cruel. Like animals, mm -hmm. so it's even less than animals, which I thought that's very appropriate because this is demonic. This is 100% evil straight from the pit of hell. Mm -hmm. And when I hear people say, yeah, but what about Israel? Israel is, as a government, as a military, it is above my pay grade to know what is right, wrong in that. But what I do know is this. Um, if they don't destroy Hamas, this, this, specifically this organization, we can talk about the other stuff, whatever, but this organization, they're coming back. Like, this is not... So they're, they are bombing Gaza. They are. But what... If someone has a better plan, like the MSNBC guys, if, if they've got an option that I'm unaware of, I'm, I'm wide open to hear this information. But for now, what they've got to do is root this out. So, yeah, there are people dying inside of Gaza, and it's Hamas's fault. Like, yeah. if we're going to be—if you are pro-Palestinian, you have to be anti-Hamas. Yeah, I think that's a good distinction. I think it's a good reminder because I do believe that that is consistently being blended together yeah. and mixed up and people not understanding the, the important, the key difference— in Palestinians and Hamas, those are two separate groups. Mm -hmm. Even the West Bank and Gaza definition. are different groups. Yeah, yeah. Like those are these are all different places. And yeah. there's something that and I'm sure we'll get into like this a little bit later. But like there was something that I shared with you when we were when we were there. We were walking around. I don't remember if it was Nova or somewhere else, but um, I always mess up her name, Elisa Shilders. She said something uh, at a conference here, actually. She said, uh, it's not about right and wrong. It's about truth and lies. Like, rights and wrongs in 2024 can be subjective. Um, you know, everyone has a little bit of a different perspective. What's right here is the right, you know, maybe not right in a different country, whatever. But we're talking about truth and lies, right, which are mm -hmm. biblically based. And the truth is, is that what happened on October 7th is some of the worst, I mean, some of the stories that we heard were some of the worst things I've ever heard. I mean, they're playing soccer with body parts. I mean, just, I mean, it was yeah. crazy. Specifically cutting off the breasts of women while they're alive. Yeah. And kicking their breasts like soccer balls. Yeah. Or one, they told us one story, like, they put a baby in an oven and cooked it alive. I mean, just crazy things, right? And so, like, the truth is, is this wasn't just an attack. This was the deliberate attempt to torture and harm innocent people. And that's the truth. And so when, you know, when people are talking about Israel and they're talking about the Israeli government or issues that you can have opinions there. And that's, I think that's fine. But like, we're talking about the people and what we met was the people of Israel. And the truth is, is that what happened was horrific and something has to be done about yeah. that yeah nobody back in the 2015s whenever it was i i don't remember anybody any of these knuckleheads shane claiborne marty duran like these biblical christian voices let alone the voices of uh the the secular media calling for a ceasefire against isis mm -hmm. because it, it isis was evil and in in doing so Innocent lives were lost in fighting ISIS. 
But if you weren't calling for a ceasefire then and you are now, you might want to check yourself. Um, because this, and this is true of the Houthis, the Hezbollah, uh, Boko Haram, Hamas. I mean, I could go on. Every one of these extremist Islamic groups um, have made no secret as to what they want. And it's Islamic caliphate, which means a, a world ruled by Islam. Does every uh, Muslim in the world want that? Uh, yes, maybe not in the way like like in the way like you would say Christian nationalism. Like we like I would love a, uh, the country. We have a lot of Christians that were in the office, whatever. Like, I think most Muslims believe that the the ways of Allah are good, and so the world would be better if it was ruled by Islam. I think that's a, a case that a lot of Muslims would would make. But then there's this group inside of Islam that are extremists, and it, it, they pop up everywhere. This is the problem that Islam has never been able to address, and it's, it hasn't been able to address it because it's a false religion. And the logical conclusions of the teachings of uh, Muhammad lead to— and actually, let's just—you let, know what? Why don't we do—how about we do this? Let's take a tour through Kafar Aza, okay? So Ayn Absor is the first place we go. That's the place where Iftak and his kids lived, and they uh, repelled the attack— so the only kibbutz, and, and they're so humble about it. They're like, we're not heroes. The only reason is because, and then they're right about this. Like they knew about the attack because there was a couple of them that got hit first. So it gave them like a couple of minutes to to fight ahead. But that what's happening now is Ein Habsor, uh, which means, Habsor in Hebrew we learned means gospel, wild, uh, is the one village. And so the goal would be, let's make this the forward operating base for the other villages to rebuild and to build safety. And the villages look at them as that. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing that was really fascinating was like, because they look at an absorber and they say, this, this was a miracle. That's the language that they used. They said, yeah. this, what happened was a miracle that they didn't, no one was lost, that they were able to protect themselves. Um, I mean, they shot a mortar, they shot guns into this village and they still were able to, yeah, defend themselves with a rock and one gun. Yeah, <laughs> they defended themselves. Yeah, and next door, and we, we, we can see uh, there's we don't have time to discuss the difference between a kibbutz and a mashav, but think farm town combined with neighborhood, because um, this would be like uh, for for Williamson County, like Tollgate, Canterbury, like th that's how close they are to each other. And so this uh, Kafar Aza is next to Ein Habzor, and we uh, and they were so 950 people. Um, one of the first people killed was their guard, uh, who was returning fire from the ground. Uh, but one of the guys coming in on the paragliders uh, shot and killed him, and so they were able to blow open the gate and flood into this town, mm. and. Uh, and another difference, by the way, so in a mashav or a kibbutz, is that they, they're all family. Um, so uh, what's the name of your neighborhood? I can Oakwood. Remember. Oakwood. So it's like you know, Gabe and Micah grow up in Oakwood. Let's say they're 18, 19 years old. But there's a whole section of little houses where the 18 to 19-year-olds stay. Uh, they've got their own little places. That'd be nice, actually. I know. I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. can figure that out. Yeah, I know. It feels pretty good, right? 
Um, one of the main places where um, uh, an in, uh, uh, of the 90, no, 64 people that died, a, a, a bunch of them died in one little strip, and that was mostly 18 to 24-year-old wow. single males and females. And this first clip that I want to show you, um, there, uh, I cannot remember his name. He's actually from Namibia, but he's Jewish. He's lived in Israel now for, I don't know. And so when we're t- he's in his village, okay, he left with nothing but the clothes on his back. The clothes he's wearing were from, like, donated. And he's dis- about to describe a story of a 17-year-old kid named Toman that is kind of infamous now inside of Israel. But I'll, we'll play that, and then we can talk about it. Children are very, very traumatized. My, my, my grandson, who's 17, lost his best friend from the neighboring kibbutz. You may have heard the story of a guy called Tom, a 17-year-old. Yeah. Uh, my, my grandson's best friend. And they, was, they were together on Friday night. On Saturday, he was dead already. Uh, he, was ta- he was taken at gunpoint by the terrorists. Uh, they'd knock on every door and tell them, you need help. Um, it's Tom. They, of course, recognized him. They had the the door. They killed them all. And ultimately, he tried to get away. And they killed him, too. So my 17-year-old son had they to used him. They used him to yeah, open yeah. the doors because people closed in the house. Yeah. And what they did also, they took uh, uh, the, the, this is the room, they have balloon of gas. Gas cylinders, yeah. They took yeah. them, opened the gas, threw it into the salon, and then after a minute threw a hand grenade. Mm-hmm. And okay. then the house exploded. If you didn't open the bunker, you died in yeah. your... Uh, Smoke inhalation. And then there were use of a tire, a spare tire of the car. Yeah. They found your keys, they went out, parking your car, they took out the tire, burned it, and rolled it into the salon. Black smoke kills you. Yeah. So, uh... just... 17 years old. Okay, my son is 18, barely 18. And to put it in perspective, they're being attacked, and people are now locking their doors, and they're in their bomb shelters every every home has a bomb shelter in fact they said that they don't do sirens in southern israel because you have 15 seconds from the moment that they've that a rocket is launched to get to safety and a siren takes two or three seconds just to get ramped up so you've already lost two seconds right so all they have is like a loudspeaker that basically is in hebrew saying code red code red code red uh so they um are in their bomb shelters they which don't lock, by the way. This was so unimagined by Israel, and we can talk in a minute as far as the failure of imagination as far as Israel goes. Uh, and I will let a couple of the Israelis speak for that because they did. Um, but they they only, they literally never imagined this. Like they would come through with weapons and just open fire like this. So they were prepared for bombs. So they were coming into the village, this, this kid Talman now, so people are locked in. Nobody's answering the door. Because they don't want to, you know, there's terrorists outside. So they take, they capture this kid who's 17. Uh, so now imagine my son Ethan going next door to my neighbor, Glenn and Vicky. You know, they're not going to open the door for terrorists. But if, if it's Ethan saying, I need help, I need help, I need help. Uh, they open the door and then they kill the people. They did this to multiple homes with this kid. And then uh, rewarded him by killing him as well. Like that's, that was just one story that we encountered when we first uh, in fact, that might have been the first story they told us. Using him as a as a human shield, essentially. Yeah, as bait. Bait. They uh, yeah, and they they're doing that currently, and they did it then. They literally use people as human shields. Yeah, and inside of the Islamic religion, people don't. We take this for granted that all life 
being precious, all life being created in God's image, that's a Judeo-Christian idea. It is not an Islamic idea at all, which is why, you know, slavery is still legal in Muslim countries, a lot of Muslim countries, because in a weird way, it would be like saying outlawing in our world. I'm trying to, this is going to be a stretch maybe, but um, we don't eat animals here because uh, we, you know, our our religion says no, but we you know our religion is fine with it. I, I, I had steak this morning. Um, they almost think of it like that, like it's like they are less than human. So even their own people, they murder regularly, um, abuse regularly, abuse their women regularly, and and not as a uh, an affront to Islam, but as a part of Islam. So they're not looking at this as like. You know, violation against human rights they they don't even know uh, islam doesn't really recognize human rights yeah i mean i was in a brick kiln literally the week before you know seeing this i mean i we uh we were in a kiln and we were freeing families so i actually have images of a kiln owner counting dollars for the families that they were freeing that we're purchasing that we are purchasing from the purchasing their freedom right and the uh, we went and we helped them pack up their gear and leave, and we had to basically quickly get off the kiln because the kiln owner was mad at us for freeing them, mad at us that we were there and wanted more money. And so the guys, the 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 locals that we were with, who were kind of protecting us, they were like, "We need to get out of here because if we don't, like within minutes, you know." We, we were told basically that we couldn't stay within in certain areas within longer than 45 minutes. Otherwise, it can get really, really dangerous. Really, really yeah, word spreads. Word spreads, yeah. So, but your point is, is that like human life is not seen as equal. They're not seen as, as equally valuable in these places. Yeah. And by the way, your Muslim friends in your neighborhood, a lot of Western Muslims, um, do view human rights as equal, but they can't use the Quran to justify that. Like you can't turn to chapter and verse in that. That's an, it's something that we assume, especially if you're secular, that is just normal, but it's just not. It's a Judeo-Christian idea. And so, yeah, this kid, Taman, 17 years old, uh, was slaughtered uh, in the name of Allah in uh, to, to advance their, their cause. And so we go from... Uh, Tommen's house to this young lady and I'm totally I don't want to forget her name um, because her, the names matter her name is Ophir Shoshani and she's 24 years old and uh, this is just a quick summary of what happened uh, to to her and in, in in her home and I, again I've got a 20 I've got a 22 24 26 year old daughter and hearing these stories, it just, these wrecked me. Weeks to recognize her. Her body she, just so melted. She was burned so you know, badly they, they, they couldn't dentists, identify her. They brought a pathologist to try to understand. Okay. Sometimes there were two bodies. And together. she was also one of the leaders that uh, that led this uh, amazing event every year that we have in the south, and it's the the Ramadan, the, 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 the anomalies. Mm, okay, yes. she was one of the organizers yeah. of this festival. It's a three weeks festival, guys. This is music to my ears. I don't know what about you, okay? <laughs> no, but also and I would prefer to listen to every minute to one of those because when I don't hear that, I, it seems like we are in a problem. Mm, yeah. 
Mm. Also something in order to identify um, the burnt uh, bodies and everything, they had to bring a, uh, they brought in archaeologists mm -hmm. because the archaeologists have special gear to sift through the debris and found body p parts. Then they went to DNA testing and this is how they found out whether wow. they are burnt dead here or unfortunately taken into Aza. Wow. We're going, we're going this way, please. Fox, follow me this way. So this is where she lived. That's where she was murdered. It's evil. Hey, Caleb, could you skip ahead to the one that's titled Bombed Out Building? And uh, those, those, yeah, those bombs, like just even the sound through headphones. Yeah, they were, they were, they were, they were kind of loud. And that's, and that's IDF. Is that Iron Dome? Nope. Um, those are just mortars being fired off. Yeah, so what was happening was we were, you would end up, uh, like an Apache helicopter right over the top. And there would be two explosions usually. One was the one of the f munition firing from the helicopter. And then 15 seconds later, whatever, you would hear it land in, in, uh, on its intended target. But yeah, when you've got it like a, literally so, like the helicopter was so on top of you that like they could just drop a rope and pick us up and take yeah. us up, you know, mm -hmm. um, firing from there. And the guy, and we're going to hear more from this guy's name, Colonel Grisha. 25 years in the IDF. Uh, he was a mayor in Gaza City. He lived there. He was the last Israeli to leave Gaza when it was turned over to them. So he, uh, Gaza has a very complicated place in his heart. So when he says, this is music to my ears, what he's saying is, if we don't stop this, and we'll, again, we'll hear from him in a moment, they're coming back. They have made it perfectly clear what they wish to do by telling us and showing us and they speaking of Hamas and I, I might add 5,000 at best estimate civilians from Gaza that came in as well. So there were Hamas soldiers and there were 5,000 uh, Gazans who were raping and pillaging and stealing and the reason I ask you to skip ahead, and then we'll go back to that video in a minute, but this is inside of, of Miss Shoshani's home. And so what happened, the reason that her body, in their words, melted, was they threw a, a gasoline can. He called it a balloon. They're English, right? Like a balloon of gasoline, but it's a gas can uh, open so that it's spilling all over, and then they drop a grenade in there. And, that, and this is the inside of her home. This is what's left of it. Uh, this house that I'm in right now was home to a, uh, I, I think she's 24 year old young lady. Uh, I don't, I guess you can kind of see there's, a, there's bullet holes everywhere. And then they threw gasoline inside of here and threw a grenade in here and detonated it uh, and brutally murdered her here. Uh, this is evil. So what you're seeing on the walls, and there were bullet holes, but what, what really you're seeing is the shrapnel from a grenade that just incinerated the inside of that. I mean, it, it, it was about as big as this podcast studio, yeah. that room that I was in. And so uh, when they found her, and, and so wild because, you know, the, the archaeologists that they use for studying history, that's who they brought in to find and identify you want to talk Bodies. about the the markings on the actual doors and the Can buildings? you remember what those were? Yeah, there were there was like several and I have it uh recorded somewhere. Sure. So eventually when a lot of the content comes out, you'll see it. But 
basically they had several different markings. One was that IDF had come in and had checked the building and made sure that there were no booby traps because what they were doing is some of the dead bodies, they were actually putting booby traps inside the bodies. Oh, my. Yeah. And so they were blowing up anybody that was checking bodies. Um, so the IDF had come in and checked that there was the bodies had been either, uh, they, they basically had figured out there was no booby traps, that the house was clear. There was another marking for another organization that came in and was able to remove the body and all of the body parts because part of their religion is that everything has to be pulled together. You have to, you're buried with all of your bones. Yeah, everything has to be buried, yeah. Everything. So there was an organization that checked that. There was an organization that came in and I believe helped clean up some of the blood. Well, yeah, if you remember, I, I'm just remembering this now. Wipe, they would wipe the blood from the walls and the floors because the blood is part of the body and would yes. be buried with the— Interesting. Yeah. So it was cleaning, but it was also the ritual of their burial to make sure that it was all— Does that have anything to do with, like, Old Testament, like, uh, was it uh, Joseph's— Yeah, you're testing my old—my my Bible knowledge. <laughs> yeah, your jet lag Bible yeah, knowledge. His, yeah, is Jacob or is his dad is, like, wanted to be buried back in— I don't remember. Anyways. It was—I think what you're alluding to— uh, they view their resurrection. In fact, the Mount of Olives is like primo if you're going to be buried uh, because they, their Messiah, they believe, is going to come, going to come there. And so the, the the cemetery there, everybody's feet are pointed towards the temple because in in their uh, religion, it is when their Messiah, Mashiach, comes. Come through uh, that gate. They'll be resurrected, and their feet are already facing towards the temple, so they, uh, yeah, so they can walk faster to it. Mm -hmm. Which is why it's prime real estate because they'll be the first ones at the temple. But yeah, the yeah. idea is, is honestly not. It's not unlike a Christian ideology. If you think about it for years, you guys don't know this if you're younger, but the idea of being cremated was unthinkable mm -hmm. because what about your body at the at the moment of resurrection? I have. I remember as a child, like that was. And of course, what we know, what Paul says in uh, Corinthians is your body is like a seed going into the ground. Uh, it's whatever is resurrected, just like a seed is going to be way different and better than just the seed. But point being, uh, your body is just a seed. Uh, but in that religion, that was important to them. So they literally had teams and it, it took a long time, obviously. I mean, they were finding mm -hmm. body parts mm -hmm. and then they're trying to connect via DNA. Is, does this finger go with this body or does you know this sternum go with that body? It was just so surreal seeing the buildings destroyed and how they were destroyed, seeing shoes on the ground, seeing shoes of Hamas, uh, ter like a terrorist, like their shoes were on the ground as well. Seeing, um, there was a photo, there was a video in the teaser that we played on Sunday of a child's bicycle that was completely rusted and burnt completely burnt to a crisp and just seeing these this imagery it felt very much like like i was a video game player as a kid so fallout like it felt like playing fallout I felt like this apocalypse right dystopian dystopian apocalypse and then seeing the markings on the walls it was just like this surreal thing of like okay they were check they were you know this yeah. you know all, all of these it was just yeah it was yeah wild. that's true each one had a separate one which in america there's the same in disaster relief you know they, they'll do that on the walls here's how many bodies are here here's how many people died there's numbers there's there's systems and this is in israel there were a couple extra systems this, the bombs have been taken out the bodies have been taken out like each one had its own so uh, what is what is 
kind of moving along here a little bit, but what is the solution? What is the Israeli solution? Like what's... Well, let me, let me, before we do that, I do want to share one more because yeah. this was a story of uh, these twin babies that, that are, by the way, alive. Wow. Um, this got to me personally because I'm an uncle of twins, yeah. twin boys. So the parents are murdered, and what do little babies do? They cry. And so the terrorists, the, re, the only reason they're alive, only reason, is that the crying babies would lure in IDF soldiers to try to save them. Again, more bait. Bait. Bait and switch. But that's the only reason they're alive. But here, here's uh, our Namibian friend. I'm kicking myself because I can't remember his name. Uh, sharing that story. And by the way, this would be like in your neighborhood, you know, half the family's in there. This would be like you talking about the Mayfields or the, like these are your people, your family, your friends. So, the, okay, so Ralph, this house here, yeah, a mom and a dad were, were, were murdered, and yeah. this is where they're. they're this is the house where this young couple lived. We've just had. Twins, just about a year old. They were both killed. The babies think the mother hid them, but they started crying. And then the terrorists said, "Wonderful bait. We'll sit around here, hide in the trees, and wait for the army to come." And the army came, picked off the soldiers coming to get the babies. Eventually, they, they killed the terrorists, but it cost a couple of lives. Everything costs lives. Everything costs blood. There is a picture of an Israeli soldier carrying the. Everything costs blood was what I wanted you to hear. That struck me. Everything costs lives. There is no solution. There's only trade-offs here. And the cost of blood is the cost that they're going to pay. I was listening to an interview with, this is random, but Taylor Sheridan while I was there. Yeah. Uh, Joe Rogan experience. Uh, and he said... He was talking about one of his films that he made or whatever, but he used this line that in, in luck is not something that exists in the wild. Luck is only something that exists in the city. Wind what River. You, what was it? Wind River. Oh, so you know, was, oh yeah. It's a great movie. Yeah. Well, the line was like, oh my gosh, that's right. Because it's just luck. Is my car going to be stolen or not stolen? Am I going to, you know, whatever. It's just luck. But in the wild, it's not. They don't kill the unlucky. They kill the weak. And so in the wild, it's you either survive or you submit. Those are your only two options. And I was listening to that thinking, oh, my gosh, that's Hamas right now. You have two options, survive or submit. And survival is going to require blood. Um, there's – if you're – you know – complicated it's like I, i've read all quiet on the western front i understand the, the you know how war um and what you know i just what i know right now is that if someone's going to bleed and it's either going to be hamas or it's going to be israelis and hamas has made no secret by the way neither has hezbollah or fatah or any one of these uh west bank you know government they've made no secret from the river to the sea they want to eliminate every Jew from the land of Israel, period. And so you're either going to submit, right, or you're going to survive. And what was striking to me was most of the people that we encountered, 
living in southern Israel. It's so different than, say, Jerusalem. Most of the religious, religious people do not live on the Gaza border because if you hold to a Judeo-Christian worldview, you understand that evil does still exist, that you can't negotiate with a rattlesnake. You know, you just don't. So a lot of who was on the southern border were secular, what we would consider secular progressives, which is why a half of a mile, a kilometer from the Gaza border is a festival happening that would absolutely offend the Hamas leader. Like that's everything that happens in a festival like that, that whether there's drugs or drinking or carousing or whatever, they hate that. And but if you're secular progressive and you think, well, we'll just be nice to them. If you remember President Obama, hey, we'll just send Iran a $400 million, you know, Walter White pallets of cash plane, and then they'll then they'll be nice to us. And what it, we, obviously what that resulted in uh, is where we are now. Um, and in a minute, we can even talk about what Israel, one of the mistakes that they've said they've made. Um, but that's the survive or submit, right? And that's what you're asking. What is what is going to have to happen inside of Israel. And in short, what has to happen for Israel to survive is these extremists inside of Islam are either going to be, they're either going to die or they're going to have to change their ideology or they're going to win. So it's survive or submit. And, And that includes Palestinians themselves and I don't know the answer to this because it's what I do know is if you go to if you're in elementary school in Gaza, Jordan, Jericho, whatever, part of your curriculum, and this is not like a secret, is how evil the Jews are. They're evil, they're monsters. They're I mean, it's so they are literally raised to hate Jews. So I, you know, the answer of is it Hamas versus uh, Palestinians, whatever. The, the truth is, is it's it's all wrapped up into one, but the Palestinian people are going to have to make a decision of whether they are going to vote for Hamas again, keep them in power, or that they want peace. And right now, so far, you know, that's not been what's happening. The, the people in power, even though maybe Hamas might be a minority, they were voted in with 50 to 60% of the vote of, of, uh, of the Gazan people with it. And so Colonel Grisha, uh, this video here is that the fence right behind us is the external fence of the village of Kfar. Uh, no, the, what, what, this was a different one. This is a different village. Anyway, but, it's, but again, that's Gaza right in the background with it. So we're standing on the Gaza border talking to a guy that for 25 years gave his all to creating a uh, uh, society in Gaza and was rewarded by you know, hundreds or thousands of his people being raped and murdered and, and pillaged. The, the one thing that, just to add to him, that was really, really interesting was that, like, he, he loved the Gazan people. Like, you could tell, like, there's somebody, there's a, a young man that's literally named after him in Gaza right now. And so, like, this was, this was not, like, his passion, his anger was from a place of genuine sadness deep betrayal deep betrayal because he he spent so i mean this guy he he was the last mayor there he was deeply involved in that world like he loved those people he had like people would be coming you know he would be on the border and they knew who he was 
he had friends there. And so there was just a level of sadness that is he Israeli him. or Palestinian? Oh, Israeli, very yeah. much. Yeah. Israeli. Yeah. And that's the thing that people don't this is worth saying. They call this an open air prison. Okay. Uh first of all, there's a huge border between Gaza and Egypt. So just to call it an open air prison and to blame only Israel um is again your you know your prejudice is showing, right? Yeah. You need to pull your pants up. And uh so it's not uh, an open-air prison that's just Israel. But at the time of this attack, thousands and thousands of Gazans every day go to work in Israel. There's half a billion dollars in, that was being put into from salaries from Gazans coming into Israel back. into Like they yeah. were living in Gaza, coming into Israel for work and going back. It was over half a billion dollars. Yeah, and, and that's just the labor, not including the fact that they provided clean water to them, they provide the electricity to them. I mean, all that was provided by Israel. Uh, but anyway, this is Colonel Grisha from Gaza border. So this is the change. You know, you know what, what actually upsets me, really upsets me? Mm -hmm. Because yes, I can understand the 3,000 <laughs> terrorists that penetrated and flood Israel. And what about the 5,000 civilians from yeah. Gaza? And that's what actually uh, uh, actually, I, I don't even even to, to share the, what, what, what I feel about it because I had friends in Gaza. I did business with people from Gaza. I helped people in Gaza. You know what? I, I, I can say it now. During Protective Edge, it was my responsibility to uh, arrange all the international aid to the people of Gaza under fire. And I did it successfully. I saved personally 5,000 Palestinians from Sajaiya neighborhood here. Okay? I did it. I want you to find one BDS supporter that saved lives in Gaza. One pro-Palestinian protester that saved lives in Gaza. I did it. And I'm the enemy. <clears throat> and what makes me even cry during the nights, it's that the same citizens, the same civilians that I was dedicated to improve their lives, they are the ones eventually that raped our daughters, that slaughtered our sons, that beheaded our kids. It's the people who molested bodies of innocent civilians. So, can we say that all of them Hamas? No. But do they all support Hamas? It looks like. Yeah. Deep betrayal. Yeah. I mean, the deepest. Which is, um, the, 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 the thing that's infuriating is so what he just described is, is what happened in 2007. Okay. Uh, Israel makes a deal saying, hey, this Gaza Strip, uh, we're going to offer this to you. It's, it's another one of the land for peace deals. You give us this land, we'll give you peace. It's happened over and over again. Israel gives them land, they get no peace. So they give them this land. But here's what people don't know and what's not being, I, I, if, it's, if it's being discussed in Washington Post, I've not seen it. When they say, let's have a two-state solution, okay, Palestinian state, Israeli state. The, the naivete, the stupidity of that is who do you negotiate with? When Gaza was handed over, they had their first and final, what they called an election. Hamas is brought into power, which at that point was 100% a terrorist organization. And one of the first things they did was – this. I'm trying to think – let's make this American. Republicans and Democrats. Okay, so let's say the, the Republicans win. And the first thing they did was murder the Democrats, M murder them. 
putting them on top of buildings, shooting them in the legs. Let's say a two, three-story building. Shoot them in the legs so they fall off the building. Uh, and you know, it's two, three stories. You're going to die, but not immediately. They were doing that to Christians. They were doing it to people that were accused of being homosexual. And they were doing it to their own people. These were Palestinians. And so when he says, I rescued, like IDF went in and rescued thousands of Palestinians from Palestinians and took them to West Bank or wherever it is they, they ended up. But to suggest that this is just an, a, a Jew versus uh, Palestinian is, is ignorant. It's, it's foolish because inside of that right now, and, and even inside of, let's say, Gaza, there's Hamas, and then there's another organization whose name I, I, I'm honestly brain farting, who is like their crazy twin brother. And they're more violent than even Hamas is, so they're they're fighting each other inside of the West Bank, which is where Abbas and the PLO and the Fatah party rules. They've got factions inside of that that are at war with each other. So the, my point being, Israel, let's say Netanyahu sits down to negotiate, and we're going to give you the two-state solution, which parenthetically has happened before Arafat ninety-seven, whatever year. They've turned it down before because they don't. Fatah, Hamas, Hezbollah, they don't want a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution, and it is uh, Palestinian, and specifically with Hamas or a very extreme version of that. But who do you negotiate with then at that point? Because, you know, if I—look, I could I could sell the neighbor's land next door, but it's it's not my right to sell it. He ain't going to—the deal doesn't count because right. I don't have a vote in that. We have to do it together, and the Palestinian political structure— is not even remotely in unity as to what they want and what they will settle for. As we wind this down, um, one last question here. And, and I know next week we're actually going to dive in a little bit deeper into um, Islam. Um, and as you as you go deeper into 1 John chapter 2, we're going to hit some more of, of these topics. But for the sake of today's discussion, um, to kind of put a bow on it per se, land the plane. What, what is the role of the church in this situation like this? Mm-hmm. Like what, what, what is a takeaway uh, for the church, for a Christian in, in a time such as this right now in 2024? It feels like much of the job of the church in general, it, wherever, is cleaning up the mess of the Genesis 3 world building outposts of the kingdom. And I would say that we have two, maybe three, sort of simultaneous battles and conversations that are sort of loosely linked and yet mutually exclusive, if that makes sense. I guess they're all kind of hopelessly intertwined, but the first one is, we're just talking about, let's just say the Judeo-Christian Western, whatever view you want to, you know, the, the things that we take for granted, human rights, uh, all being equal, like those all Judeo-Christian values. Is that the future we want for our world? Or is the secular human version of that? Or is it the Islamic version? Those are the three main competing visions for the future of the world. And so when you think about that, as a church, when it comes to elections, when it comes to uh, positions of influence in our community, 
in our own country. That's why it's important. It's not Christian nationalism. It's a battle for an ideology. And that said, part of you separate out. That's one of the I think our our forefathers were so wise because the establishment clause, which is that the government doesn't get to force religion on us, that that came from a very honest place from British, you know, the the Catholic Church and the uh, the, the the King of England being the same. Like they they separated those out. Islam, by the way, is a theocracy. There is no such thing as a, as a secular Islamic government. It's all theocratic. So anyway, Judeo-Christian is one of the ideas. Again, you're right. We're going to talk about this on Sunday as far as antichrist in place of Christ. Uh, when it comes to, in general, the church, Jesus said, and we, we were able to see Mount Hermon from uh, Mount Arbel. We couldn't, we were on the way to actually that area and then Hezbollah was, began shelling. So we had to make a right turn and we went to Galilee instead. But you could see, you know, off in the distance and you could hear the fighter jets and the, but Jesus specifically said, my ecclesia, my church, like the gates of hell will not prevail against my ecclesia. The word ecclesia is a Greek idea. And just like logos, whatever, like Jesus would take an idea that they understood and and say, but that, this is yours, but this is mine. Ecclesia would have been like the city council, like the uh, homeowners association. <laughs> like They're the ones that made the decisions for the community. And they would come into the ecclesia and, and it does mean called out ones, right? That's, that's the word Greek, but the idea, it was called out to lead the city. And Jesus is saying at Caesarea Philippi, uh, at a place where demonic religious things were happening, um, babies being sacrificed, the God Pan, so Peter Pan, all that stuff, that, that all was born there. Jesus is saying this pagan religion, my church, right? The, the gates of hell will not prevail against my ecclesia, my called out ones, mine that are here to influence, to lead, to, you know, that's what he was setting up. He wasn't saying the gates of hell will not stand against our little building, you know, our little group or whatever, but my called out ones. And so we're the called out ones. And what we get to do, what we must do is kick down gates of hell. Violence is a gate of hell. The people of Ein Habzor, have a, an actual fence around them, and then they have a demonic fence of violence, of Hamas. Of, like, we get to kick down those doors and say, uh, we love you. We are going to provide for you financially if we can. We, and by the way, what they've said, for the most part, every Jewish person that I encountered, we don't want your money. We want, to, we want friends. We want to know that we're not alone mm-hmm. in the world. And so what the church's role, what we get to be in our called out one is to kick down the gates of hell in those areas and we get to be friends. And if they, you know, look, we get a chance to show them that the Passover lamb, right? That they have celebrated the Passover lamb that they actually don't get to even celebrate now because they don't have sacrifice. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins is what the Bible, their Bible tells them. They can't sacrifice right now. So, you know, their forgiveness level, you know, we, we have a chance to say, well, you can be. This is your forgiveness. The, the, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world is Jesus. We don't shove it down their throats. We don't shove it down anybody's throats. We just get mm-hmm. to say that uh, this ideology, whether it's uh, Hamas or whatever, like the, these will enslave you. The religion enslaves. Christianity sets free. So we get to speak show them 
by example what the love of Christ really means. And and frankly, one of the things that I'm seeing right now is the history of whether it's the Crusades or the Inquisitions, the Spanish Inquisitions. Like if if you're the average Jewish person or the average Islamic person, by the way, you have a fairly skewed version of what Christianity is because of of history of religious institutions that have violently and by the way, I say this I always feel like I have to say this because it's important. You can't justify what happened in the Crusades with the teachings of Jesus. Now, you can justify what happened in Ein Abzur with the teachings of Muhammad. Okay? You can't with Jesus. So the, even that, the Crusades, that was a anti-Christ idea that happened. So we get to be Christ in the flesh to them and show them that we, you know, we are their friends. They're not alone. That uh, and and it's why we you know, people are going to say, oh, what about Muslims? What about you? we're setting slaves free in mm-hmm. Islamic countries? We're setting Jews free, and it's Jesus. It's not a people group. It's a Jesus group, and so mm-hmm. that's uh, th- that's what we are doing. It's what we get to do. Um, we're we're still seeking the Lord is exactly what that looks like as far as uh, trips and what we do when we're there. But I know this: we're going. We're going to go back. We're going to keep going. And, and, and truth and lies. And we're going to tell the truth. It's an incredible opportunity for the gospel right now. That yeah. is for sure. Caleb, what's, what's one final thought from you in, in, in this trip that you took? Um, you know, I've been very fortunate to, uh, which Darren gets all of the blame on this, to travel the world and see some of the things I've seen. You're welcome. <laughs> it's definitely... Uh, it's changed a lot of the way I view my faith. It's changed a lot of the way that I tell stories. It's changed a lot of the way that I view the world. And and I think before I had such a cynical view, and I even asked on this trip, I asked on the first trip that I went on with you, and I asked on this trip, like, what's the point in a lot of ways? Like, if we live in this fallen, broken world and there's nothing but destruction, what's the point in trying, you know, in some ways? And on this trip, um, I feel like the Lord kind of reminded me of my name. Like, my name is Caleb. I am named after one of the 12 spies that went into this very land. Caleb went into the land of Israel, the same land that we were in, and he looked at the giants and he looked at God's promise and he said, he went back to his people and said, hey guys, the giants are not that bad. And so I feel like my job as a storyteller, as somebody who goes on these, to these places is to look at the giants, remember God's promise, come back to my people and say, we got this. We can take them. We can take them. And I look at Israel and I look at the places that we go and I say, uh, we got this. It, it is worth doing this. And and the thing that um, I told the story on Sunday and um, that really got me was that I was in a taxi car in Israel, in Tel Aviv of all places. And then my taxi driver said something to me. He said, if the young people of the United States do not align themselves and support and create the relationships with the Israeli people. You don't always have to agree with the government, but the Israeli people, if they do not do that, Israel will not exist. The Jewish people will not exist. There's 52, I think there's 52 countries that are under Islamic rule. There's only one country in the world that Jewish people can call home, and that's Israel. Um, and so one of the things that I really realized is like, it, it, you know, we, 
we can have opinions on governments. We have opinions on our government. We have opinions on governments that, you know, support slavery. We, you know, I've seen all of it. And we're not hiring conversation around. There are conversations around the government. You can have opinions on those things, but we're talking about the people. We're talking about relationship. You know, Jesus was in a time where the government was not super awesome, the Roman government, right? But he was concerned about the people and the relationships that he was developing. And so that's how I view Israel. That's how I view a lot of the stories I get to tell, which is the stories of the people and showing and in, in developing the relationship with them, sharing the gospel, ironically, and Absor is the gospel. That's the name of this town is the gospel. Um, is 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 worth fighting for. And those giants, while they seem crazy and terrifying, they're not that bad. Caleb, thank you. Thanks for jumping in with us. Thanks for jumping in with Darren last week. Always. Easy yes. Can't wait to see some of the stories that you're going to be telling that we're going to be rolling out over the next few uh, days and weeks and months as we continue to tell these stories. If you haven't watched the podcast yet on the YouTube channel, we would encourage you to do that. Uh, those of you that are listening, um, thank you for listening, like I said previously, but also consider maybe watching the podcast. We have several clips um, that we shared on this one. We've been moving our podcast over to YouTube as well. So Spotify, Apple iTunes, podcast, wherever you d download podcasts, and also our YouTube channel, Conduit Church is the handle. So go to youtube.com search Conduit Church, and you're going to see all of our video content that we put out, including our podcast there. So we want to invite you to there, uh, to YouTube. Hit subscribe. That way you know whenever we upload one, it's ready to roll. It's in your queue for you to watch. And uh, we're just so grateful that you would tune in with us in that way. ConduitChurch.com, ConduitMission.org. And thanks for joining us. Have a great day.